We're going to go ahead and dive in to uh, tonight. I want to quickly give you an overview of what this, the four nights will be, so to speak. Um, so in case you're thinking, I can go night one and not come back. I mean, you could do that. It would definitely be a detriment to, to your learning and uh, I believe your, your understanding of what a missional community is and where our church is going. But so tonight, my, my job is really to kind of lay the foundation, talk about the why uh, behind of what, we'll, what we're doing. Uh, there will be some practicality in it um, towards the end, but most of that will come over the next three weeks when we unpack um, the three identities, as we call them, in missional communities. Uh, next week, I've got a friend of mine named Matt Taylor. He's the campus pastor down at Shirley Hills Baptist and Warner Robins. He's going to come up here uh, with us, and he'll spend a little bit of time speaking with us about his experience with MCs. He's been leading MCs for somewhere around 10 years. He led them up in uh, Mercy Hill in Kennesaw, Georgia, and now uh, at Shirley Hills. Uh, great, great man of God. Got some really good wisdom and experience. He'll, he'll be focusing on the identity that we find ourselves in Christ and family. And then week two, or week three, excuse me, um, Keith Watson, the pastor of New City, will be here with us. And uh, if you don't know anything about New City, I took, uh, we took, I don't know, 10, 15 leaders there this past Sunday to, to meet with their MC leaders during one of their coaching cohorts. And uh, I think it was just a really beautiful picture of the church, the universal church kind of coming together uh, for the greater cause of the Lord's kingdom. They've been doing MCs for a long time. And I uh, love Keith. He's been a good, really good mentor and a friend to me. And so he'll come and share about uh, being a servant and some of his experience there. And those will be amazing times. If you have questions that are um, that maybe that you've even asked me, but you want to get a different perspective. Uh, these will be two guys that have been running the missional community race much longer than me. Um, and much of what we're going to talk about um, in these packets that you'll have in front of you that I'll, I'll get to uh, at some point tonight, some of, some of which came from them. Um, and then the fourth, the fourth night will be we're talking about missionary, and I'm hoping to have a couple of friends uh, zoom in with us for that, some friends that have been kind of walking this path with me as well. I do, uh, before I dive in deeply into this 35-page packet that I've given you uh, on this uh, on your table. First and foremost, let me tell you that this was this is uh, a long time coming, and a lot of the resources that are in that packet uh, are to be, um, I guess, given thankfulness to the resources and the generosity of a church called Summit Crossing in Huntsville, Alabama, New City, and uh, Saturate, which is a, um, an organization uh, kind of led by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt. And if you were in any of my serious leadership groups or the c- couple of guys that we just read a book together, Jeff Vanderstelt's been a dude that has been uh, kind of monumental in, in, in shaping some of the language of a culture for Christians and really trying to understand what it means to be a disciple. Nothing new. He's not saying anything new uh, because everything he's saying comes directly from here, but he's, he's done a great job of putting some language behind some stuff to help us understand how we're supposed to live out this thing called Christianity. So tonight, um, I'm, I'm going to dive in, like I said, behind the why. And I think uh, I want us to make sure that we understand that the why is not just as important as the how, it is much more important than the how. Um, I've, I've spoken with leader after leader, I've experienced it myself. Churches oftentimes 
really lean into the how. Like, how are we going to reach more people? How are we going to grow? How are we going to, to get this person healthy? How are we going to do all of these things so that we can glorify God? And we focus so much time and energy on the how that what will eventually happen is we will forget the why. We will lose our first love, as Scripture says, and we will get burnt out. If you've seen pastors be, get burned out, if you've experienced burnout in ministry, what happens is we have taken our eyes off of the author and perfecter of our faith and we have put them on the worldly results of growing something. And so the how matters. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot. Most of that 35 pages is how. But I think the most prominent and the most important and the part that we're going to dive in today and every single time we gather for coaching or over the next four weeks, the why will be the paramount thing that we discuss. Because we do not serve just so that we can serve. We serve because Jesus served. We act like a family because Jesus died to reunite us with God the Father to become a family. So if you are in Christ tonight, you are either a son or a daughter of the living king. And you function in that familial relationship. And so we find our identity as a family. We find our identity as a servant. And then because of those two things, we then see that there is a purpose and a greater path in life and it is to glorify God in what we do and let people know and that is when we become missionaries. I have a, a quick little picture to show you this triangle. As disciples, we find our identity of family in God the Father and from family we then become servants because we serve as Jesus served and then after we've understood our identity as a family with God, we served because Jesus served. The Spirit then empowers us to go be witnesses and missionaries to the ends of the earth. You can go to the next slide. And so that's how the kind of Trinitarian theology works inside of this understanding of a missional community. A missional community is built off of what you already have. An identity in Christ. As a disciple of Jesus, you have been bought into the family. You have been modeled to serve by Jesus, and you have been sent by the Spirit to be a missionary. This is who you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Galatians 2.20, You have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live it by faith in the Son of God, who loved you and gave himself for you. 2 Corinthians 5 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, all those things that you just heard, right? They are now a new creation. The old is past and behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God. So you're no longer old, but now you're new. And he says, all this came from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself. And then he did what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave you and I this family, this heart of service 
And then he said, you know what? Because you've received this calling, you've received this newness. You're no longer the old dead you. You are now made alive in me through the power of my son and the spirit. You got to go tell somebody. You have to. You could say you get to. It's not, it's not this thing that like you, you, you keep at bay. This is who we become in Christ. And so tonight, um, we're going to dive into some of those things. Um, I've given you this packet. I, I do want to say that we have gone over this packet two, three, maybe four times, me and Ari. And uh, if you find a typo, don't, don't be a tool. Just circle it. Just circle it and let me know. Okay? There are 35 pages here. Okay? That's a lot of reading. That's a lot of writing. And so please give me grace and Ari grace as maybe there's not a comma where there should have been a comma. You know? Hopefully there's nothing bigger than that, but there's always the chance. So I'm going to sort of follow this opening part of, of the, the packet tonight. We won't necessarily do that moving forward. I do want to tell you what this packet is meant to be. It is meant to be one of those things you're going to come in here over the next four weeks, Lord willing, and you're going to hear a ton of information, like a lot. And I don't know if you're like me, but just because I heard it doesn't mean I got it. And so what this packet is, is, is a reference for you to when you go home and you're going, how, so, so how, how is this any different than Sunday school? How is this any different than this? Or what are we supposed to do over there? Or what, you know, is Chris telling me X, Y, or Z? I'm just going to say first, did you, did you look at the packet? Like, did you, did you look at it? And then we can talk about it. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll talk to you before I guess you've looked at it. But I would hope and, and pray that you first and foremost maybe invested just a little bit into what's going on here. So opening up um, this, this summer... We read a book together about, mm, I don't know, somewhere between five and ten guys, depending on what night this past summer. We read a book called Saturate. In this book, it opens up with that same picture that I, I read to us in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, talking about the glory of God covering the face of the earth. And I, I want to open with this question or this thought, this idea. I want you to imagine what the tangible kingdom of God would look like in the everyday stuff of your life. Like tangible kingdom, right? Like imagine you're a child again and you're trying to think about God and he's not this make-believe character, right? He's real. We know this. But we don't necessarily touch, feel, smell in those normal ways. But what if we could? What if we did? What would it look like in your job? What would it look like in your parenting? What would it look like in the tragic accident? What would it look like in traffic? When you're running late, you overslept, you know, your alarm clock goes off. What would a relationship with God who was tangible and literally walking right next to you where you could feel, touch, see, smell him look like in the everyday stuff? When we go to the scriptures, 
we, we see a, a picture from, from God of what this would look like. I, I think that's one of the beauty points of Scripture is I don't necessarily have to imagine what my life should look like if I walked with Jesus. Why don't I have to imagine it? Because he literally walked with people on this earth. He literally showed us what he did. And then those he walked with then recorded things that they did. Now, as one of your passages read, like we don't have everything recorded. So, yeah, there's some gray areas in life. But as 2 Timothy says that all scripture is God breathed and it is good for reproof and rebuke and it is good training for righteousness so that we may be equipped for every good work. So as we read and we reflect and we meditate on his word, it's alive, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. What it should do for us is it should give us a declarative fashion in the way that we should live our lives and follow after him. I think, I'll go off script. I think most of us in this room know exactly what we're supposed to do. I think the reality is most of us in this room get distracted and we do the best that we can, we say, but we don't then put any safeguards in our life to continue or to try and do those things that we know we're supposed to do. Like when Paul says, I'm struggling and I don't do the things that I want to do, I do the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I don't want to do are the things that I end up doing. We find ourselves in that place. And we talk about having accountability and we talk about, you know, being involved in this group or that group or this thing and that thing. But for most of us, I think it comes in seasons and we, we might have a season where we do this stuff. But see, then even in doing the stuff, we might be doing it from this place of like a works based gospel. You know what I mean? Like, God, I'm going to do these things so that you will. And that's not the gospel. That's a workspace gospel. That's, 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 that's something that's not necessarily his character. And so there, there's, there's this thing in our life where we, we kind of understand, man, we should live as a family. We should live as servants. And we should, should live as missionaries. Well, maybe not. Only if you're called, right? I'm not called. You're called. Pastor person who's in China, Brazil, right? I'm just, if, I, if God presents an opportunity, then I'm called, right? Like you may not actually say that, but you think it. I've thought it. Not, maybe not as a pastor because it's a little different, but we get to this place where we know the answer. But maybe we've never been discipled to put in guardrails and rhythms in our life to go, man, we know we're going to mess up. We know we're going to falter. We know we're going to fail. But here are some things we can do in our life to help us be put on this trajectory to living for him more fully. And we actually want to do it. We just don't know how. And there's been seasons where we've done part of it. And there's been seasons where we've done a different part. But there's been time, rare times in our life where maybe it's all come together. And we just thought it was this God moment. But I think what scripture would reveal is, and it's something that you could live in. It's something that we could, on a daily basis, experience. 
we could experience this wholeness that we find in family. I mean, we're a small church, but I've told people for years that one of the struggles that we have is we're a small church that in some ways operates like a mega church. There's 42 of you in the room. What did I say earlier, Tim? Is it 42? 42 of us in this room right now. There's a chance, I don't know this to be fact, but there's a chance that 50% of us don't know the other 50%. This isn't a church of 5,000, right? This is a church of like, this past Sunday we had 137 people in the building. You know, diapers to the oldest of us. Yeah, diapers to diapers. <laughs> diapers to diapers. Right? And so when I say, hey, we should live as family, I think there are some of you that go, yeah, I'm in a group and it feels like family. Or we would say, I I have a really good Christian actual family and we do life together really well. And so that's kind of my family. But then I think there would be another portion of us in the room to go, I don't know that I have like that Christian family. I don't know that I, if, if something happens in my life, I think I have a few people I can call, and I hope they'd be there. That's not what, fa- like, family is like when, when crap hits the fan, they're there, right? I mean, that's what family is. I get the call from a family member saying the worst thing in the world, and I'm going, dang it, I got to be there. Like, I have to. There's no option. So I got to cancel everything on my plate so that I can be there. And when I think about such a, a, a church like ours, I'm looking, man, we, we could be an amazing family for each other. I'm not saying that all 150 will be the family. I don't think that's logistically possible. I mean, let's just be real. I mean, we'll have a fourth cousin somewhere, you know, and you'll have your brother and your sister and your aunt and your uncle and grandma and, you know, the little niece and nephew running around, and you'll have some relationships with a, with a decent-sized circle. I don't think it's reasonable for us to expect to be, like, decent family with everybody. But I do think it's reasonable to think that, man, if we push two or three of these tables together, we should have multiple groups in our church that, man, those jokers are family. Like, they're there. When the kid's sick, everybody else is going, how can I help? When the, the seventh grader is struggling at math and there happens to be somebody else in that circle who's really good at math or math teacher or, you know, whatever, they're, they're going, I'll tutor you for free. You know, when somebody's really hating their job and they're struggling and they're trying to figure out how they do this, that, and the other, and this other person in that family group finds out because we're open and honest as family, they're going, how can I help you? When somebody else is going through something in life, we help each other when we're family, right? Like there's just something special about family. Maybe you've got a crappy family, like physically, and so you're sitting here going, I don't know what you're talking about. I know that the 1950s dream of family is there. And what I'm telling you is even that 1950s dream isn't as good as the Christian family that Jesus proclaims in his scriptures. Like we could live it out if we'll just start doing it. Like put small steps in place to be family for each other. Because you need it. And the Lord knows I need it. So we're going to be family in, in this MC thing. We're going to be servants. We're going to be missionaries. Matthew 28 lays out this passage that you've heard a million times. I'm not even going to read it. It's the Great Commission. 
It's, it's go and let people know, go and teach them, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tell them who Jesus is, is our command. And then the next passage you have in that pack, passage is Mark chapter 12. It tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is love your neighbors yourself. We, we know those passages really well. Some of you can quote them. Some of you, it's your life verse or... You know, it's just, it's been ingrained. Is it a sentence that brings vibrant, like love, tenacity to your, to your heart? Or is it just, it's just part of our religion? Like, is the, the call to be a missionary something that you struggle to understand? What an MC does is it helps you understand it fully. It helps you walk a path. It's not that all of us are going to understand completely what living as family means or what serving looks like. You know, the reason I asked the, the dualies and the selves to serve tonight is because I want us to start modeling family servant missionary. And if they showed up at Thanksgiving, if we all showed up at Thanksgiving dinner and somebody else had cooked, and I think it's pretty reasonable. Hey, will somebody else serve? Will you serve? Like somebody asked me earlier, I think it was today. Maybe it was Ari. I don't know. Um, hey, do we have the kind of church that, like, when the event's done, that they just start stacking chairs? And I think my answer was, yeah. I mean, for the most part. You got a few that are going to be like, hey, let me get the heck out of here, right? But, uh, and it's usually the one with, like, the, the two-year-old who's, like, biting somebody's ankle and, you know, they're trying to get out of here. But, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about, like, our church is I think for the most part, like, and we, we serve pretty well. We could, we could always do it better. You know, there's pockets of folks that sit in that room that they don't serve. And they, what they don't need from us is to go, hey, you're not serving. You know what they need, they need from us? Is for us to serve them. We just serve them. Love them. And when we serve and we love and we do the things that Jesus modeled, what we'll see over time is that they'll start asking the question, how, how can I look more like that? So, like I said, over the, the next couple of weeks, we're going to go in depth about what a family is, what a servant is, and what a missionary is. I, I hope from my last 11 minutes, you, you're kind of starting to get this picture of living out these rhythms in some form of a uh, group is, is what a missional community is. So if you turn to page three, we've defined it for you. It says a missional community is defined... As a family of servant missionaries sent to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. I like, uh, Flynn was in that group with me this summer and I like what he said. I think, I don't know if he said it week one or week two, but I think sometimes in the Christian walk, we have this like expectation that Jesus is that, like he didn't use this language, but Jesus is like that angel on our shoulder and he's just always there. And he, which, hey Jesus, how you doing? Right? That's just... That's not necessarily realistic. And so when we say living through the everyday stuff of life, what we're meaning is to be, become that new creation. And so in that new creation, we are praying without ceasing. We've been changed from the inside out. And so we're not, we're, we don't live by the flesh anymore. Our, his spirit has changed us and moved us. And so when we live through the everyday stuff of life, the moments of life are, are changed and altered to glorify him. And it's not even necessarily this 
cognizant thought process. You know what I mean? Where you just have a knee-jerk knee reaction. Like, what could happen if our knee-jerk's reactions were to act more like Jesus? Maybe you've been down that path. My, my wife, uh, Amy and I, we talk um, sometimes about like when, because she knew me BC. That's before Christ. So, she, she says countless number of times, I feel like at this point in her life, like there was a miracle that happened. He was a big jerk before. He's just a little jerk now. I don't think she uses that language. But th- there's, there's something that happens. And, and when we get in those big fights, she say, Chris, you're this, you're that. And she you know, tells me how terrible I am. But, but I'm a lot better than I was 15 years ago, right? And sometimes she's like, no. That's just her being you know, angry at me. I am better, right? Because I've been sanctified. I've been walking down this path of sanctification. The Lord is changing me. It's not that I've necessarily just matured as a healthy, functioning adult, although hopefully that has happened. What I'm hoping that has happened is that Jesus has changed me from the inside out. And every day I open his word and his word washes over me. He's getting more and more of me off and more and more of him on. I heard a guy say one time that we'll never become sinless this time, this part of heaven, this side of heaven, but hopefully we will sin less. Like we will become more and more like Jesus. And that is what it looks like to live out these identities in the everyday stuff of life. That second sentence I really love. It says, missional community is an expression, an expression, right, of our lived out faith in Christ with an emphasis on the identity that he has given us through the gospel. Summit Crossing Church said it like this. If we unpack this definition, we see that our identity of who we are, who we are, the why, precedes the actions of what we do. We are a family of servant missionaries before being sent to do the action that is to then make disciples in the everyday step of life. In the gospel, the doing, the, the go and Make disciples, the follow these instructions, the don't be these things. It always flows from a being. And when we forget the being and we focus on the doing, we become legalistic. Right? I mean, that's those places and those Christians that are like, you can't do this because X, Y, Z. Rather than, hey, you shouldn't do this because Jesus has modeled for you a better way and he's given you a new heart. Like, I try to tell my, my children, hey, we don't, just, we don't just not cuss because the world says it's bad. Because to me, the crap word is the same word as the S word, right? Because why? The heart is the exact same. Like, there's no difference. Like, what the crap is the same as what the, right? There's no difference. Like, we put power on those words, but the thing in my heart is exactly the same. And so the language of our mouth flows from the intent of our heart. And so it's just like the doing and the being. We want to be connected to Jesus, be connected to the vine and be his branches. I feel like I've talked a decent amount. and I don't want to take a lot from Matt and, and Keith, but you see those passages of a family of. Talk about looking who we are. You see a family of Ephesians 1.5. You've been adopted by Jesus into his family. He's modeled for you what true servanthood is in Mark chapter 10 and really through the entire Bible. And then we've been called and inspired and empowered and 
indwelt by the Spirit to, to go be missionaries. So this is who we are. So it's important that we, we understand who we are before we go and talk about what we're going to do. This is why we, we, we speak at times about our core values. Because our core values are kind of like guardrails. But we want to put together this system of, of missional communities and this, this ideology, I guess, to a degree. Uh, this understanding that we're all walking side by side, arm in arm, towards the same goal of making disciples, leading people to love God, love people, and invest in his kingdom. We want to try to do it in a fashion that's going to be efficient, but it's also going to be, most importantly, biblical. Like, it's not biblical that I stand up on this stage and I make proclamation and people come to faith in Christ and nobody else does anything. I don't know if you know this, but a pulpit was not in the Bible. It wasn't. And so the way that we do church is not necessarily wrong, but it wasn't necessarily biblically ordained that way. If that makes sense. The way church happens is we live in this way of life where we are the people of God. And when we become the people of God and walk like the people of God, others will come to know God because of the way that you walk. So, uh, as I dive into some logistics in the last few minutes that I have, I want you to do a couple things in your heart over the next couple of weeks. Number one, I want you to be open to the Spirit's leading. Some of you are going, how is this any different than we've ever done? Some of you are worried that I'm going to change everything in your life. Some of you are thinking, I like the way I do it, and I don't want to change it, and it just is what it is. Some uh, have even questions and doubts that I haven't even thought about yet. And here's what I, I really want you to hear. You are not called to just have holy huddles. Like, that's kind of like a period. <laughs> that's, that, but that's what we do. And not just like we. Don't, I'm not blasting our church. The church. We are really, I'm really good at creating holy huddles. Man, let's just, I was telling the guys last night I met with, let's go deep in the things of God. So that we can go wide. And here's the reality. What I have found is there's a part of us that loves to go deep. And we get so deep that we, we don't ever go wide. The thirst for death outweighs the thirst for going wide. And you know what that would tell me is that you didn't actually go deep. Because the bigger picture of the Lord should move your heart to tell somebody else. And I'm just as guilty as everybody in this room, but please pray with me earnestly over the next several weeks. What would God strip away from you so that he can be magnified and glorified through this mission of community thing that we're going to do here at Piedmont Church? Maybe you're going, I, I've never wanted to lead something. And the Lord lays that on your heart. Maybe you're going, man, I'm happy in the group that I'm in. I could never see myself leaving that group. Maybe you're saying, I'm not even in a group. I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out. Or I, just, I really like sitting in my chair. I'm too busy. There's a billion things that we could say to not do stuff. 
And I just earnestly believe that if we would step back and become less and let him, let him become more and let the spirit guide us, all those excuses would just wash away. So let's get into logistics for 13 minutes. Here we go. Because that's what you really came for, isn't it? That's what we all want to know. What is this missional community thing? So first, let me, let me say this. Uh, you got that picture on page five. So we're called to make disciples as Christians. We believe that that is the, the kind of base of the stool. And there are three legs that support that in, in, in MC. It's a family gathering, a DNA group, and what we call neighborhood to the nations. The family gathering, and quick before I go into some of the depths of these, is going to be what most of us consider to be like community group, Sunday school, whatever. Like just that normal little thing. That's what the family gathering is. A DNA group is going to look like what most of you might consider an accountability group or a grow group or something of same gender, small numbers, going deeper in some stuff, holding people accountable. And the third one, I don't know, there's a system or program in place in most churches that have this. But the third one to me is what changes the game for everything else. Because the third one isn't just one leg. It's connected to all the other ones and it's what drives all the other ones. Neighborhood to the Nations is the heartbeat behind the first two. Because if all you ever did is meet together in a Bible study group and then get somebody to hold you accountable, but you never gave a crap about Neighborhood to the Nations, you are a bad Christian. They're just, I mean, it just is what it is, right? I'm really worried about my sanctification, but I, you can go to hell. Is what we say if all we ever care about is our heart and our theology and making us cleaner, but the world around us is fading and we don't care about them. So, how does all this work together? You are not, let me say this, you are not going to leave here tonight with a full picture. If you think you do, pray and seek the Lord and he'll tell you you didn't. <laughs> Hopefully. All right. So how does this thing function? Um, l- let me just give you, a, I'm not even going to walk through the packet. Tell me when it's 728, will you? All right. So you got the three legs of a stool, family gathering, DNA, neighborhood of the nation. So family gathering, it's like this idea of a community group, but it's deeper. It's, it's, it's something different. It's really a family gathering. Some of you, I think yourself, so I don't know, somebody else probably does family weekly dinners, right? And a family gathering is something like that. But again, it's nothing like that. So we gather together as a family. There are five aspects that we would say, hey, this makes a really great biblical, solid family gathering. Fellowship, prayer, scriptures. Eating, and uh, I just forgot the last one. That's fantastic. Sharing stories. stories, That's right. Perfect. These five things make up a really solid family gathering. Now, I'm not sitting here saying you need to do all five things every family gathering. If you do all five things every family gathering, you probably didn't do all five things with excellence. Because unless you just gather for six hours, that's a lot of time. So, let's look at... Really quickly, food. We've talked about fellowship, the table, table fellowship throughout scripture, what we did at night. Like, there's just something special about food. There's always some joke about Southern Baptists and food, right? It's because there's always like, there's a good connotation with people getting to know each other. There's an intimacy when we share food together. When you look in the Bible, how many times did Jesus share food with people? A lot. He broke bread with people a lot. The apostles broke bread with people a lot. 
the fellowship side. It doesn't necessarily have to consist of food, but it's us just getting to know each other, owning each other's, you know, stories and getting some, you know, just having some fun, right? Sharing our story. It's a big one. It's just, I can't believe I forgot it in that moment, but it's the one where, how can I really fellowship and be family with you if I don't know your story? Like when I heard Chris Bailey's story in his office three and a half years ago, I guess it was his, when he was doing like a Mercer rebuild or something, and he shared his hour and a half, two hour story with me. I was bonded to Chris Bailey. Like, that is an insane story. And I know him at a depth now that I could have never just known him if we just had a beer and some chicken wings. Like, it's just not the same. There's something different there. So we share our stories about where God has moved our hearts from one place to the next. What did I say? Share stories, fellowship, eat, listening to scripture. Sometimes that can be a Bible study. Sometimes that could be going over sermon questions that we'll, we'll produce for you through our app. Sometimes that could be literally just open up and walk through the Bible together. That could be reading a psalm together. That, that can be a bunch of different things. You don't have to make it complicated. You can make it as complicated as you want. we got a lot of resources and a lot of ways to do that. The last one, prayer. This is the game changer. And this is how all of it ties back into neighborhood of nations. But the prayer one, don't raise your hand, but you've all been in groups where we took 10 minutes of prayer requests and we prayed for four minutes. You did it. You've done it. You're part of it. You probably, maybe even led one. It's just is what it is, right? I'm not trying to bash you. It's just what, it's what's happened. And maybe I'm wrong. You're just an amazing human being. <sighs> prayer is so much deeper than the way we treat it. I mean, like we have this connection to the Lord who, who hears us. Who, who allows us to lament and cry out to him and call out to him. And, and so we want to embody those moments. I want my eight-year-old and my five-year-old to be in my family gathering with us and see us in tears, crying out to God, praying for them at their school, praying for, you know, somebody else's thing in their life. And I want them to hear it. I want them to be a part of it. I want them to experience my belief in prayer. Because they may not have one yet, but I want them to see what it looks like. Ties in the neighborhood of the nations because every time we meet as a family gathering, we're going to ask questions that talk about how we're making disciples in the neighborhood and to the nations. Some groups do this really well currently at our church. Like some groups are supporting missionaries. Some some groups are going out and doing service projects. So we, we talk about that in detail in the neighborhood of nations. There's three different aspects you can do that, but it is present in every family gathering. That's family gathering right there. We'll leave that alone. DNA. In that same MC, people who meet in the family gathering, we're gonna have DNA. And so let's say that y'all two are family gathering. One, two, three, four, five, six men, perfect. Three men, one DNA, three men, the next DNA. Y'all are gonna meet on a semi-regular basis. We would say at a minimum once a month. So it'd be at a minimum, two family gatherings in a month, one DNA in a month. And you guys would walk each other through life together. So if your family gathering goes really deep in the listening to the scriptures part, and does Bible studies or whatever, then maybe your DNA doesn't do that as much. Maybe y'all just talk. Because you know as well as I know, when we're in the room together with our wives and mixed company, dude doesn't need to be sharing some of the stuff that's on his heart with all these other people in the room. He doesn't. She doesn't need to share her heart with all these other people in the room. But we got to share our heart with somebody. We have to confess our sins. We have to be held accountable. We have to be, spur- be spurred on. And, you know, we say spur on Hebrews 10, 25, the, the, the church gathering, all these different things. And, Man, if you walk in that room and you blurt out your deepest, darkest sins, I'd love to say that everyone's going to you know, keep that in their heart, but they're not going to, right? So we need some people that we trust in our life, in our family, that we can have these deep conversations with. They're going to look at us and go, hey, man, you got a booger hanging out of your nose. You need to rock wipe it off, theoretically. You know what I'm saying? 
So DNA kind of looks like that. And there's some, it, it stands for discover, nurture, act. And so we're walking through those things together. The third one is the neighborhood of the nation. So we've got some templates in there, some sample groups that walk through these in a month of flow. If you were leaving tonight and you're going, wow, I really need, I need to understand what this looks like. Again, don't focus on the how yet. Stay in the why. Every single moment you can, stay in the why. Because as soon as you get to the how, you are going to say you are too busy. You're going to slip out that back door. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I needed a break. That was good. Perfect. Um, neighborhood of the nations. So the way, the way I, I would push groups to do it and the way we're going to kind of help, you know, encourage groups to do this thing is week three of the month should be your neighborhood of the nations week. So you might still have a family gathering that week and you might do a neighborhood of the nations or you might do neighborhood of the nations and DNA or whatever. All the different. This isn't like a, hey, everybody looks exactly like this. That's the beauty of it. Because there's just rhythms in our life that help us walk in family, servant, missionary. And they're just these, these things that help us own this. And so Neighborhood of the Nations could look like uh, we have a coordinator over this in our group. And that's another part that, let me just side mention. There ain't just one leader of your group anymore. You're all there. This, this one leader mentality, it, it, it doesn't work. It burns people out. Period. So... You're all going to be there. Now, you'll have a leader, and you'll have a co-leader, and then you'll have somebody, a core family, but you're all in it. If you're an MC, you own something. We, somebody at New City said the other day, if we don't have a job for somebody, we'll tell them to bring ice. We may not even need ice, but they're bringing ice that night, so do they have investment and buy-in. They're supposed to get a chuckle right there. I appreciate that. Thanks. Anyway, so uh, Neighborhood of the Nations, week three, our person could have been preparing it, and so we've been praying for it in our family gatherings and our DNAs. Maybe it's a conversation with a missionary overseas. We've set up a conversation with Paul, who's leading the church in Scotland, or Carlos in Guatemala. Maybe it's partnering with one of the local organizations that we've set up, or another one just in our community. We've, we've got organizations that our mission team is setting up for you to be able to serve and connect and go directly into these places and serve and be servants and potentially lead to the missionary part. The other side of this is the one that I really want you to lean in on, not that those other things don't matter. They matter greatly. But if we do that and we don't do this thing, we've missed it. Who are you discipling now? And what I mean by discipling is evangelism is a part of discipleship. So discipling isn't just taking a Christian and getting them deeper. Discipling is taking somebody who doesn't know Jesus and start praying for them. Start praying that the Lord opens an opportunity for you to love them. So we, we, we skip that place and we go... God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. That's important. I'm not taking, saying it's not. But man, if that person doesn't know that I love them and care about them, why would they ever listen to any words coming out of my mouth? So Neighborhood of the Nations could be a backyard barbecue with your MC, where you're inviting all of you who've chosen somebody in your life to invite. Maybe it's a couple. <clears throat> Jonathan Kenny did this great one time. His birthday party, I guess his past year, it was me and I think, what, two coworkers from your place? Neither one of them go to church. Neither one of them are believers. These co-workers, they've been fish in his bucket, and he's been trying to get them, and he says, hey, just come to my, my birthday party. Did we present the gospel? Do we open a Bible and have a Bible study? No, but you know what they did? They got to know you a little more. They got to know me a little more. They didn't maybe see his pastor as this weirdo, which is what every lost person thinks. Maybe they did still see me as a weirdo, but <laughs> we, we need to be people. And so if we start having this heart for folks... Am I getting close? 
And we start trying to figure out these rhythms of trying to get the lost in our life. Literally, it could be the neighbor next door. When's the last time you talked to them? When's the last time you prayed for them? When's the last time you tried to set up this routine in your life where you're going, I'm going to pray for them every Monday. I'm going to pray for an opportunity to hang out with them. I'm going to pray for this. And when you see them, hey, man, I was praying for you. It's not necessarily like this Roman road thing you've been preparing, although that, we've got to get there one day, right? You can't just love people to heaven. You, you've got to eventually tell them the gospel. But in my, in my last, like, 60 seconds, I, I don't know if you, hopefully you've seen that there's this picture where these, all three of these legs of the stool support this, this, this idea. We're recording this for somebody else. I've got to carry this. Where this table right here, Let's just say y'all are your own MC. You are encouraging each other to be a family, a servant, and a missionary. And so there's nobody on an island. You're all seeing. You're all walking with each other. You know each other's stories because you've been together for umpteen years, right? And so you're, you're going down this path of making disciples. And so we're, we're running into Mike every week. We're texting Mike constantly. Hey, man, who are you trying to disciple? I don't have anybody right now. Well, cool. Who are you praying to have? Hey, man, I'm really excited about next month when we get to try to go to this place and do that thing with those people. Love the homeless. Love the hurting. Whatever it is. Like, what if we just stopped playing games and just said, man, let's do this together. Built-in rhythms where we can walk together. Think about your children. Think about your children's children and the faith that they model. There was a statistic years ago that said 50% of kids graduating high school were leaving the faith. And what they found was the 50% that were staying stayed because those people had other adults who were running the race well and they were pouring into them. So you could be the strongest Christian parent that you've ever been. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you feel like you're not that, right? Like if all my kids ever see a Jesus is me, Lord help them is what I think sometimes. You know what I need? I need Mike. I need John. I need the other John to be pouring into my son. For them to be close enough and for him to be close enough to them to see this is what faith looks like. It isn't just going to church. And it isn't just getting a holy huddle. We get our hands dirty with each other because we're a family. We serve deeply because Jesus served. And then we take those steps to get outside of our comfort zone and take the gospel of Jesus to people by being a family of servant missionaries who lead people to love God, love people, and invest in his kingdom. Let me pray.